Today, we sit down with Dorit, a second-year speech-language pathology student at McMaster University. In this podcast, Dorit gives us a breakdown of what the speech-language pathology graduate program looks like, the steps that are needed to apply to become a speech-language pathologist, and the work that professionals in this field do. We also get our insight on what students can do to prepare while they're in their undergrad if they are considering this field. Along with the challenges, Dorit highlights the rewards and memorable moments experienced in her clinical placements. So if you're interested in hearing more, please tune in. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, my name is Dorit Greenspan. I'm in my second year of my master's program in speech language pathology. Thank you. Um, And so before you started in speech-language pathology, what undergraduate degree did you pursue? Um, So I went to Western. I did a four-year honors bachelor there. I did a double major in psychology and sociology, which I think was a really nice background for speech-language pathology. Um, The psychology gave me a really good good basis and foundation for a lot of the neurology and cognition and thinking skills that we talk about in speech language pathology. So it kind of laid the foundation of, you know, the different parts of the brain, how it works, how your neurons work. Um, Whereas the sociology kind of looked at society as a whole and for me, a little bit kind of highlighted different vulnerable populations and how that might create kind of a power imbalance between which could lend itself to a situation with medical health professionals and patients or vulnerable populations. Um, so I think that also gave me kind of a good perspective coming into this program too. And then could you also give our listeners an overview of what speech language pathology is? Sure. A speech language pathologist, we consider ourselves kind of experts in communication, um, which is obviously a very big term. So when you break it down, you're looking at speech, which is what most people think of, I think, when they think of a speech language pathologist. That's people who are, you know, helping kids say their S's or their R's. That's what we consider speech. The language piece is more like the words that you're using. So kids who are late developers or toddlers who aren't talking yet or people who have had a stroke and can't access the language piece anymore and can't kind of find the words to say. That's the language piece. We also look at cognition or thinking skills as they pertain to communication. So memory, attention, can you pay attention? Can you attend to someone talking to you and remember what they're saying? Hold on to that information so you can respond appropriately. That's kind of the thinking skills. And we also take a look at swallowing, which is mostly just since we're so well acquainted with the head and neck anatomy, it lends itself really well to understanding the mechanism of a healthy and a safe swallow. So that also falls within our scope. And what types of individuals will typically come to find a speech-language pathologist? Really? Anyone. Um, SLPs see people all throughout the lifespan, starting with babies who are having trouble nursing or feeding. For example, if a baby has a cleft palate, that would impact their ability to safely swallow milk. Or if babies are born premature, things like that, that would be a speech-language pathologist. Moving into toddlers or school-aged kids who are late developers, have developmental disabilities that are impacting their communication, speech impediments, S's, R's. We see 
adults who have been in an accident, had a brain injury, hit their head, strokes, a lot of stroke victims. And then also people who are older, dementia, we see a lot of aging population as well. So really anyone kind of throughout any point in their life could need services from an SLP. And then uh, how does your program prepare you to practice in the field? So you probably have your classes where you learn the theory behind things, but then there's also the concept of going out into the field and actually yeah. meeting with clients. Um, how are you prepared for that? So most of the speech language pathology programs, I think in Canada, function this way that there's, like I said, full-time classes and then full-time placement. So you really get a chance to learn the theory and learn the academic foundation to the practice, to declare clinical practice, and then you get to go on placement and really see that in action and utilize those skills that you've learned in class. So it's a really kind of cool balance to be able to learn what you need to learn from a textbook in a classroom and then apply those skills and, and see other working professionals doing all these things you've learned about in class. It's kind of a neat balance. Mac, I think, does a really exceptional job of preparing us through their problem-based tutorials with problem-based learning, which I'm sure you guys are well acquainted with, but they are very big on teaching you how to be a thinker, which I really value. I think that in two years, there's only so much that they can teach us, right? We can't learn every single thing we need to know. So being able to have the tools that they've taught us to then go find the information that we need and think critically in a clinical situation and apply the skills that we've learned in class and the knowledge we've learned in class, I think is incredibly valuable. And Mac does an exceptional job at that. For sure. Um, when did you realize that you wanted to become a speech language pathologist? I think I would say realistically in my third year of undergrad. For me, it was kind of something that's been on the back burner for a long time. And then only really when I was applying to schools and looking at different programs. I was looking at some psychology programs, looking at some speech language pathology, looking at some educational programs. Only then did it really sink in kind of what a great balance I found the program to be for me. But yeah, it was kind of something that I had known about and thought about. I'd seen a speech pathologist as a kid. I was really interested in communication, but I never really took it seriously. And I think I never even really considered it as a profession until later undergrad, for sure. What are some of the different placements that speech language pathologists can have? I know you um, briefly mentioned that you do have those and there's a balance when you're in your two-year program, but what are some of the places that you tend to be following? So like I said, um, SLPs work with people all throughout the lifespan. Um, so as such, we work in a huge variety of settings. So. That can be in a preschool setting, a school, you can be in a private practice working with children or adults, hospitals, or publicly working with the LIM, which is the Local Health Integration Network, just recently replaced on CCAC. But really almost anywhere that you have like any healthcare professionals, you could find a speech language pathologist as well. So there's really a lot of variety and a lot of opportunity. Um, and then if you haven't already mentioned um, all the steps to pursue uh, this career, uh, would you be able to mention them? So you have your undergrad degree and then you go to the two-year program. Is there anything else in between or after that has to be done? And so to get into the program, you need a bachelor's degree. And there's a couple different prerequisites. 
they vary from school to school. Overall, you need a little bit of a basis in psychology, so a course or two in development or language development, a linguistics course or two, um, an anatomy or physiology, you need your research methods and stats. Um, is there anything else? I don't think so. And then a couple of the programs also require you to have volunteer hours before applying to the program. So there's that as well to consider before you apply, making sure you have all your hours done and signed off on by a professional. After graduating from the program, they're actually, we're in an interesting time right now. The, to practice as a speech language pathologist, you need to apply to the college, the Ontario College of Audiology and Speech Language Pathology. We call it Castle Poe. So we're in an interesting time right now because they're just implementing a entry to practice exam. As of before this year, you would just have to kind of file all your paperwork together. Um, you need to have a number of direct clinical hours, which you get on your placements, and your academic work completed. You fill out your application, you mail it into the college, they look over your application, and they say, great, you're ready to be a speech-language pathologist. And then starting in the fall, there's also going to be now an entry-to-practice exam that we'll need to pass along with our application and then you can practice as a speech language pathologist in Ontario. What are some opportunities that undergraduate students can pursue to develop the skills that you need in healthcare fields, such as speech language pathology? And are you aware of any volunteering opportunities that could potentially build such skills? Mm -hmm. I would, I can't recommend volunteering enough. I think that's a really great way to gain some skills and also gain exposure to what a speech language pathology or any other professionals that you might come across in your time volunteering do, which I feel like you guys have spoken a lot about. When you're in school, it's so hard to see what other professions might be out there, especially if you're in a medical science program. So volunteering really, I think, is an awesome way to get exposure to what other people do as well and something that you might really love. A lot of hospitals are really happy to take students. Um, it's a big commitment. Most hospitals are, want you to commit for the full semester, the full year, every week, but they really deliver and they're happy to give you your letter recommendation and your hours and whatever else you need because they're so, so grateful to have volunteers like you guys helping them out and whatever they need. They're obviously so busy, <laughs> but yeah. And then also even just doing some research, asking around, seeing if anyone does need a volunteer. Some private practices are happy to take a volunteer as well. I think that there's always value. What is one of the most memorable patient experiences that you've had, if you've had one, and um, how did you feel at that moment? What comes to mind is on my last clinical placement just a few weeks ago, I was working in a rehab hospital in St. Catharines, so mostly people who have suffered a stroke and are recovering, and we had a patient who was, we, our role with her was primarily working on the quality of her voice after her stroke. She had some vocal fold paralysis, meaning that her vocal folds weren't up due to the stroke and the weakness and the paralysis that comes along with that were no longer meeting nicely to provide her with a nice, strong vocal quality. And she just didn't feel like herself anymore. She was a singer. And I think that we don't often think about how much of our identity we associate with our voice and our ability to speak to others. So she trouble speaking, trouble singing. Um, so during my 
time there. Um, it was her last day of placement after months of working with the speech language pathologist, my supervisor. And on her last day, she played her a recording of her voice on their first day working together and then played her a recording that they'd taken earlier that session. So on her last day and to see her listen to the comparison and hear the progress that she's made was just like undescribable. It was really something special to watch her, I don't know, see that progress she made. She was just so grateful for something that she couldn't have done herself and something that seems so small, like working on someone's voice was so, so, so um, important to her. So it just was incredibly moving and really just showed me how much of a difference we really can make in someone's life, even if it's in a seemingly small way, like working on voice, you know, which um, also I think is really interesting as it's not really a part of our job that I think people are well familiar with. I think people think about the pronunciation of words and we don't really think about our actual ability to make sound and to voice. So that was a really special moment that I had. That does sound amazing. <laughs> um, and then taking another look at this, so there's the rewards of this field, but then there are also maybe some challenges. Um, what are some of those? Yeah, occasionally we're involved in end of life care. Um, as people get older or are sick and no longer able to swallow safely, we're often involved in those end of life discussions as well, which can be a challenge for sure. But again, such important work, I think. I think another challenge is we often hear about clinician burnout. I think a lot of people are in this field because they want to help others, which is wonderful. And it's so easy to give a little bit more and a little bit more and spend a little more time trying to help someone but it can be difficult to find the line between helping others and taking care of yourself. So you hear a lot, especially with new clinicians, just putting their everything into helping their clients or their patients, but at the risk of kind of burning out and not taking care of themselves. Um, so that's a challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we're hearing more and more about burnout in different fields. And I think it is important to discuss it. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. If you could give your younger self any advice, um, when you're figuring out what career you wanted to pursue, what would that advice look like? This I was actually discussing with a friend and she kind of put it together really nicely, which is think outside the box, especially in a health science program. You're right. They, you kind of are steered towards this one big career, which is being maybe a doctor and you don't realize how many other jobs are out there. For me, it was psychologist. I was in a psychology program. And I kind of thought, yep, end of the tunnel, we're going to be psychologists. That's the answer. And it wasn't really until I was looking at these other programs that I came across speech language pathology as a profession and as a real option for myself. And I'm so grateful because I really think that it's the right program for me. But it, like, I never would have found it if I hadn't been willing to explore a little bit more what other programs schools have to offer and what other careers exist through things like volunteering, looking at the other programs that exist at schools. Um, and I think that even if that means taking a year off and doing that volunteer work or working or volunteering a lab to really explore all of your options instead of kind of pushing through to a career that 
might not necessarily even be the best fit for you. So I think, think outside the box, take your time. There's no rush. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that concludes our interview today. Thank you so much for yeah. sitting with us and basically teaching us so much about this field and um, opening our eyes to the different opportunities they could offer. No problem. 